You're listening to NCG Top 100s, a National Club Golfer podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the NCG Top 100s podcast. In each episode we try and take you into a virtual clubhouse and get the inside stories about the courses that feature in the ranking lists you can peruse on our website at nationalclubgolfer.com. I'm joined as always by the man ultimately responsible for putting these lists together, NCG Top 100s chairman Dan Murphy. Welcome Dan. Thank you Steve, good to be here again. This year, we are reinvigorating our list of England's best courses and talking to those clubs both riding high in those lists and looking to get involved. Today, we're going to a club steeped in history, one that has only recently just celebrated its 125th birthday. It's a compelling story, too. This club once turned down a redesign from Dr. Alistair McKenzie, yes, he of Augusta National fame, and were the site of the famous English Ladies Close Golf Championship in the mid-1930s, when the glamorous Gloria Minaprio shocked the golfing world by having the temerity to turn up in a pair of trousers rather than a skirt. But Seacroft is not a club rooted in the past. Clyde Johnson of Cunning Golf Design has been remodelling this charming links, and we are delighted to be joined by the architect, along with Rosie Sharp, Seacroft's Chair of Marketing and Membership, to talk about some of the changes. Welcome to both of you. Morning. Now I'm going to put the pair of you on notice here because at the end of these podcasts we ask all of our guests to name their top three English golf courses. So put your thinking caps on for that one. Um, but starting with you, Rosie, a fascinating club history. Um, I always thought the more remarkable thing about Gloria was that she played with one club. Um, but I suppose the um, furore over a skirt or trousers shows the time in which they were living. Yes, she had this one club, a cleat, and her caddy walked around with her with this one club with her jacket over his arm. Um, strange to have a caddy with just one club. But she was a, an intriguing character. Uh, she would just arrive go straight to the course, go out there um, in a very smart uh, attire in trousers. And apparently at Seacroft in the 30s, they were um, clamouring to get close to her. They had to have people to hold the crowds back um, because it was just hadn't been seen. It was the second time ever that anyone had worn trousers to play in a, in a, a, a sorry, a woman had played trousers in trousers on the course. And the previous time was Gloria the year before. Um, so Henry Longhurst uh, is reputed to have said um, she was the best dressed golfer he ever saw. Just before we get into the um, Seacroft, just a very quick aside about that, um, about, about the single club. As I was reading a piece last week um, about Walker Cup history and apparently in the 1936 Ryder Cup, uh, one of the American players, Albert Campbell, uh, won both of his matches using 32 clubs. And it was after that um, that the USGA and the, the RNA um, decided that wasn't quite right and adopted the um, 14 club rule, um, which, which I didn't know. That's how it came about. So you've got two extremes there. But anyway, I, I digress. So let's get back to um, Seacroft. And, and perhaps, Rosie, you could just talk about the, um, the, the, the longer history and the sort of early design. Um, and I guess what, we're, what um, listeners will be desperate to understand is how it came to be that, uh, that the great Alistair McKenzie was, uh, uh, was called on to give his thoughts. And then these thoughts were, uh, were, were, were ignored. How did that happen? 
Well, originally the the, um, the course was slightly um, a little bit further away from where it is now, outside the Vine Hotel. It was only a nine-hole course. Um, Skegness is um, known as Nottingham by the sea. Um, it was just starting as a seaside resort in the in the late 19th century, and the railway had just arrived here, and um, so people came from from Nottingham, and actually all the the AGMs, all the club meetings were always held in Nottingham. The people that had the houses around the course were such as John Player, Rally, people had Rally Cycles, Nottingham professional people, and, and they ran the club. And in 1900, they decided they wanted to make it a, an 18 hole course and moved it slightly to where it is now. Although again, 20 years later, they, um, they bought more land. Um, and Willie Fernie in 1900 came over to design the course. Um, he was well known for, um, he was known as Willie Fernie of True. Um, but when we acquired the extra land um, in the 20s, they asked Alistair McKenzie to um, come along. And he, he, he didn't really um, use this new land that we'd acquired, which is um, to the east of our uh where our 11th is now 11th and 13th he didn't really use that land and he he didn't alter things a great deal so anyway he sent in the um the um diagram of what he wanted to do and um it's it's on in our um, clubhouse now but it does have a huge tear in it because at the time one of our board members just got hold of it and tore it in two and said well that's what we think about that um i think that's quite a story too um, the Mackenzie Society are fascinated. <laughs> wow! And can you can you just explain your own connections um, to the club, Rosie? So you know um, how, how long you've been involved, and uh, and and I guess the part that Seacroft has played in your life. Um, well, I start, I've been a member since '89, and um, I uh, um, I was captain in the '90s. Um, but I was involved in golf. Um, I have a, I have a small company called Sharp Sports, um, and I managed uh, players on the European Tour, um, mostly Argentinian players, which uh, is quite unusual to have an Argentine connection in, in Skegness. Um, and I still look after Ricardo Gonzalez, who is now on the um, Legends and the trying to um, he's playing some Monday qualifiers in the States for the Champions Tour. Um, so I still have a slight involvement, but um, I've looked after a couple of um, Lincolnshire boys on the European Tour as well. But um, um, my main involvement was Andres Romero, Ricardo Gonzalez, um, Jose Costaros, um, and I worked with Eduardo Romero as well. So that's my connection with, um, with golf. And um, when I started to spend more time here, um, I said, offered my um, support in the marketing. Um, so they got me involved with that and still here. I've been chairman for three years. So that was um, good that we had a female chairman. Um, and I might add that our uh, dress codes are very much more relaxed now. We allow um, women in, in trousers, shorts, whatever. Um, we allow jeans in the clubhouse. We're, we're very relaxed. Um, so we have changed from the glory and monopoly of days. Okay, and and just getting into the the, the golf course itself, could could you just describe for uh, for anyone who hasn't uh, had the pleasure of playing Seacroft, just just describe um, the the course, the, the the nature of it, um, and what kind of um, you know what awaits for those who make the journey to Skegness. 
I'll interject here. I think Clyde uh, needs I, to come in now, I, yeah. I, I describe it as a, an old-fashioned links course uh, in a good way. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like an out and back. It, it You know, the first hole tracks along the base of the dune ridge. The second green is perched onto the dune ridge. The third, you tackle over, you, you fly blind over that dune ridge onto a, and the green set up on another dune ridge. You play back from that dune ridge to the first dune ridge and you you, know, you kind of track alongside the outside, the flatter land of that one. You hitch back, you play back over that dune ridge, you track alongside the dune ridge. You, the original ninth used to play over a dune ridge and then back over the other side is a long hole. Then it's dune ridge to dune ridge part three, going, uh, going perpendicular to the way you've just tracked out and you play back alongside the dune ridge and you kind of track over to the primary dune ridge and there's a, a hole that dips down from it and back up the 13th which is a great par five uh par three along the top then you you walk down and you play black back you play back blind onto the top of that dune ridge and you kind of the other side of it playing back onto it again and then you kind of work your way down uh in a saddle between two dune ridges on the last two holes so you know it's a it's a course that's full of variety uh lots of really interesting shots and uh, it's got it's got one of the better sets of uh linked green complexes too you know there's some old-fashioned slightly rudimentary green complexes like the second with one tier that runs through it then you got the beautiful 11th green uh that's mm. it's a grade kind of falls away full of full of little contour and yeah there's more of a you know i was out, I was out there playing a couple of weeks ago and i was uh really really reminded really impressed by how good the, or how interesting the greens are there Rosa, could you just explain to us um, how um, how Seacroft came to work with Clyde? And, and I guess you know what I'm thinking is that um, you know not much changed, I guess, for a number of years. And 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 you know, was it? I presume that you've sort of led this process of trying to uh, you know improve on the on the bones of the fantastic course you have. So um, when did that begin? And and how have we ended up today with uh, with Clyde working on the course? I started thinking about it about four or five years ago. Um, you know how it is in, in, in golf courses. You have a succession of uh, Greens committees that at the time think they're doing the right thing. And um, uh, we've had a lot of changes, some for the good, some for the not so good. And we realised that we needed a definite future plan. Um, and Clyde was actually working at Woodhall's Bar at the time. And um, our uh, director of golf, Robin Loy, uh, was um, friendly with the um, head greenkeeper at um, Woodhall and got to talking about Clyde. Clyde came over and um, and that was it. The rest is history. Clyde um, enjoyed Seacroft, I think, and from what he did. And thank you, Clyde, for your description there, far better than I would ever do. And um, we, we had to obviously put it to our... our Board. We have a larger board now. We've trimmed things a lot more. We're much more business-minded in the last five or six years, I think. And um, we realised we're not cash-rich, um, but we realised we could do it, uh, do the alterations over a period of time. And that's where Clyde became involved. He did his plan. We liked it. We realised that, um, as it is at the moment, with the way that um, technology and clubs has changed and um, also, we have a lot of older members um, who probably can't hit the ball as far as they used to. Um, things like that. There needed to be changes. There definitely needed to be changes. So we we um, we got Clive on board, 
and um, um, I've been so delighted since um, you've done three years because um, how we work it and Clyde will probably want to say this himself but Clyde comes over in the autumn and does a week 10 days or fortnight of work with our green staff and they carry on through the winter so um, uh, it's it's an ongoing project with them throughout the winter. Clyde can you just um, if you can remember uh, just describe your first impressions um, of, on Seacroft and what you felt you most wanted to do or, or that you felt needed to be done you know where, where, where did you start? Uh, I first, well I first played Seacroft probably in 20, 20, 2011 I guess maybe even before then at least 10 years at least 10 years ago uh, and then I'd actually taken over uh, you know I was at we were working at Woodall Spa as part of the Tom Doak Renaissance Golf Design Restaurant. So that place, I took a couple of the guys over to show Seacroft because half an hour down the road, and I wanted to show them some of the some of the cool cut, some of the cool holes, namely the eighth, the the one that runs along the the boundary. It's there's nothing like it, really. Uh, anyway, you know, my first impressions uh, of, in terms of what work needed to be done. You know, I try like to start with uh, just a low cost, really efficient. Moves so you know you can create a lot of interest by expanding some of the greens, uh, just simply by mowing out a lot of the time and uh, cultural improvements along the edges, especially on a sand-based links course. Uh, you know some of the, some of the favourite work that we've done so far was uh, adjusting the tenth green by mowing it out further to the front and creating a really interesting pin position that sits on a high shelf out the front, and then that's allowed the what used to be the low the low little bowl in the front now to have a couple of pin positions in it. Uh, yeah, some of the other some of the other thoughts were, uh, you know, Buckthorn or Thorn had been uh, an issue at Seacroft uh, when I first played it ten years ago. There was loads of it, and they've done a really good job of, you know, cutting that back and really showing the showing the landscape off. And we've continued to do that, uh, especially this last year. Uh, we've really opened up, and you know, you're you're at the far end of the golf course, and you can almost see back to the houses that run behind the 18th green, uh, which is really great. Uh, you know. The backdrop to the sixth hole now, which is you know one of the holes on the way out that plays back towards the start. Used when I first showed it, used to have uh, there was a halfway hook behind it that wasn't particularly attractive, and there was a bunch of bunch of fawn on the dune ridge behind now. But you know now the green sits sits really beautifully uh, against really nice wispy, fescuey, rugged uh, dune ridge. So, you know little, little visual improvements like that. You know that's. That's where we started, and you know the beauty of the beauty of well, maybe not the beauty of Links bunkers, but uh, wouldn't normally rush into the construction projects. But Links bunkers tend to have a limited lifespan, you know, five, six, seven years, even shorter, depending on whereabouts they are situated in relation to the sun, or you know, if the closer the green, they're going to get hammered that little bit more. So, uh, you know, it was it was you know, it made logical sense to to refresh refresh the bunkers uh, and you know there was an opportunity to to fill in some of those uh, you know there's quite it was quite an old membership uh, at Seek or you know that was part of the brief you know was to think about the older members at Seacroft uh, and, you know there was quite a few at 180 200 off the tee that didn't really make a strategic interest even for even for the player that doesn't hit it that far so you know so go back I'll go back to the six hole you know the six hole was kind of inspired by a Ken, a Ken Cotton drawing uh, when he consulted there in the 60s, you know. Uh, interestingly, we'll go back to Mackenzie plan. He, he, you know, there wasn't anything really, uh, you know, in the existing holes there. He didn't really suggest anything uh, outrageous. 
oh, there, was, there wasn't anything different between, there wasn't anything too different between uh, what the golf course was like now versus then. So, you know, I didn't really lean too much on uh, his plan uh, for, for ideas there, but, you know, there's, it was a good Harry Roundtree painting that featured in Bernard Darwin's book uh, of, a, of, you know, a really large uh, bunker that cut across the ninth hole. But, you, know, you know, I'm careful. There's this kind of been a trend to introduce naturalised bunkers uh, on a lot of UK links courses, you know, to, you know, tried to tried to keep Seacroft its own thing and its different thing. So we only we introduced a few of those, but only where they'd sit into the big natural dune features and the mm. good like they're of an appropriate scale rather than just the same size as the pot bunkers. Uh, yeah, and we've just been refreshing, refreshing some of the some of the pot bunkers, trying to trying to roll over the faces a little bit more, trying to make them not quite as not quite as high. So you know, when they come to be uh, refreshed, five, five, six, seven years down the line again, you know, it's not as much as a labour-intensive process to rebuild. Uh, and then probably the biggest the biggest move. Uh, we made uh, so far has been uh, adjusting the 16th green. The uh, 16th at the moment, or before this winter, was a short par four. Uh, it still it still is a par four. We we flipped we flipped the tee over that used to be a really bulky feature that clung to uh, like the the high third green. So we we renaturalised the bank left of three green. So if you miss that green now, it's a much more interesting recovery shot, uh, which is pretty easy to do, pretty easy to pull on the left. Uh, yeah. And really, by flipping the tee over, introduced uh, an interesting uh, new angle to the 16th that uh, you're kind of playing across the dune ridge at a slight angle rather than uh, down the length of the hole. And then the big change was there used to be, I've never actually seen any pictures of it, but there's uh, a lot of chat from the older members. Or there was, you know, it was mentioned to me that there used to be a big bowl in the front of that green. So, given how short the hole plays, I thought it was worthwhile to introduced that to create some really interesting pins didn't have any photographs of it but we took the bold move of stripping a quarter of the green front right quarter of the green and getting into it with the digger and eventually found the old found the old height of the green or the old level of the green which was probably four feet below what was uh what the existing grade of the green was and then we expanded it outwards uh just really to create a couple of hole locations in there that would you know, it would really gather really fun. It'll be really interesting. But I think the uh, the, the most interesting uh, effect of that is to create the is to create some pretty scary pins on the high side around it. So you know, if you you miss those ever so slightly, you're gonna leave yourself with a pretty pretty pole, pretty bold put back up onto the onto the main section of the green. You know, the same sort of scale that you find in the transition on from the front of 14 on the old course, for example, at St Andrews. And I, I know you're kind of mid-project at the moment. Can can you just um, explain what you know what what is still to be done on the um, on your current brief? Yeah, so we've still got uh, I want to say we've still got the first hole, the second hole, uh, the twelfth hole, and the six, uh, 15, 13, 17, 18, I think. Uh, so they're they're quite changes. We'll just be continuing the bunker work there the, you know i'm quite excited about uh peeling back some of the vegetation uh, improving the views on 18 uh sitting setting a bunker into the corner of the of the drive there just to really create some interest because that's got a great green as it is uh the first are really nice open the second second's a nice second's a nice hole uh chance to create a little bit more drama off the tee there maybe uh 
12 is another hole where I think we can really mow the green out slightly differently, make the green a little bit bigger uh, and create some more interesting pins towards the front there and actually actually lose a bunker to help uh, the running in shot. Uh, then the 13th the 13th's a great hole. Uh, 15's got a really interesting drive and we'll, we'll look to expand the green into the back right corner there to create a, a pin that really hangs on the edge. Uh, so if you miss you miss that, you're, you're quite a long way below the green there. Just continued mowing line, expanding some of the fairways. Could I just ask you about, about the 12th? Um, so clearly I'm not an architect and I'm not really qualified to comment, um, but I was just looking um, when, I was, uh, when I was at Seacroft uh, recently, standing behind the green. Now, there is obviously a lovely piece of fairway in front of the green of that rippled um, dune fairway. And, and I wondered if any thought had been given um, either to try to turn it into a slightly longer hole to become a short four, uh, or indeed to become a shorter hole to, to become um, uh, you know a, a par three that wasn't out of the reach of your you know uh, of your average golfer. Yeah, that uh, that hole actually used to be, a sh- I guess I guess it would have been a bogey four when it was played like that. It used to mm. be a uh, a bogey four across. From, you would actually played from the June Ridge left of the eleventh green, and you would have cut back across the front of the eleventh green. And I guess the hole would have been about 270, 280 yards. I think I think this is still up for. The, discussion with the committee but it was my intention it would flip flip the 12th tee over to the left uh onto there's like a little high it's not a little yeah. high spot that would uh then make the whole plate an angle just for a bit of variety versus the 10th mm-hmm. uh fill the front left bunker in there uh then the green would sit at an angle you know it'd be it'd be a long it'd be a longish par three still 210 210 yards but Playing at an angle, if you you know there's room to scoop one in on the shoulder and chase one into the back, but you know if you just miss it ever so slightly or just slice it a touch, you know you kind of run along that ripply front and then just the ball slides away and you end up being 30, 40 yards away from the green and you've got a, a really interesting bump and run shot back up onto the green. Rosie, could I, can I just ask you as a um, um, obviously a long a long term member, I wonder where you think Seacroft could go, like where 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 could where could you get it to with Clyde, with Clyde's help? Lots of potential, isn't there? I think so. I must just say, the, the 16th is playing superbly. I must tell Clyde it is, that. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. love that hole now. Um, thank you, Clyde. Um, <laughs> and he is trying to, uh, hopefully in the next year or so, he will be changing some of the ladies' tees, which will be uh, quite good for some of us who don't hit the ball so far um, nowadays. Um, where do I see it going? Um a long way I, I hope but our only real problem is where we're positioned but then you, that's so with every links course isn't it in England you you get off the motorway and you've always got a good half hour of back roads you know if you're in in Lancashire or wherever you you are um when you when you go to any of the links courses the problem with Lincolnshire is we don't have any motorway at all um well there's probably a little bit on the BA north of Mount um, Grantham and then the M180, but um, that's all an hour and a quarter away. So that will always be be our drawback. Having said that, we're very near to Woodhall's Spa. We're only 40 minutes from there. Um, and so I think uh, we, we do work a lot with Woodhall. And um, we, you know, people are coming to play Woodhall, they'll come to us. If people are playing the North Norfolk coast, uh, the Lynx course is there. But it is quite a long way round. But they, do, they don't see that when they, when they look at a map. So I, I feel that we could go a long way. I feel Skegness is going a long way, um, particularly now people are staying in the UK for holidays. Um, Skegness is, it has got the bucket and spade image, but it is progressing. And we've got some good hotels and good restaurants. And I think as, as all that um, infrastructure behind 
with the town, we will get more people coming along um, as Greenfield. There'll always be a limit and there'll always be a limit with membership because um, we're situated by the sea. We've really got a very small population. We do have a lot of distant members and mid-distant members, which helps our membership. Um, but regarding green fees, I, I think um, once we're getting out of these current restrictions, I see us getting further and with the, the way we're going, way that, that um, Clyde's work has, is being promoted, I, I hope that we will um, be further up the rankings and get people coming from quite a distance. I must, I must add, you know, we've we've not we've not fundamentally changed the character of, of Seacroft. It's been it's it's been a series of uh, cumulative, you know, really often quite quiet, relatively subtle changes that you know when you add when you add up the sit, you know, you add up all that light polish touch at work, you know, it really it really just helps show the existing golf course off. You know, it's already a very good golf course, and we just we've just been polishing it up, making making the very most of it. Well, it's decision time now. I feel like I need some dramatic music here um, to introduce this one. I'll have a look in the sound effects in the editing software, see what we can do. But as we said at the start of the podcast, I wanted to ask both of you for your top three English golf courses. So let's start with you, Clyde, because um, you have played about a bit, I'm sure. Um, when it comes to golf in this country, what are the three must play venues for you? Uh, this is this is really hard. I'm sure everyone says this, but this is a really hard question. But mostly because the diversity of golf courses in England is so great, and I think it's it's honestly, I've been very fortunate to play all across the world, and I think that's what makes England the best or the most interesting country for playing golf anywhere. Yeah, uh, I maybe won't say my three best golf courses, but I'll probably say my three favourite out of the Heathlandy type courses. I'd probably pick Pulborough or West Sussex. There's just some brilliant holes there, which are artistically really interesting, really beautiful. Maybe not, it's maybe not quite as rugged as some of the other courses, but it's really elegant. The Lynx courses, I mean, probably, you know, most people would think St. George's is the best. You know, it's got it's got a great scale to it, but I'm not quite as familiar as that uh, as others. So I'd probably pick St. Anadoc just for just for again for the great variety, some really quirky holes, some really old school holes, and uh, it's just a beautiful place to play as well. Uh, and then I'll probably pick, you know, there's, I quite enjoy playing Merlin courses, you know, quite rudimentarily maintained courses. But I'll pick one. I'll pick one course that's close to where I grew up in Kendall. I'll probably pick Silith as my other, my other favourite, just because I've got fond, fond memories of playing there. It's a really, really good links that a little more on the radar these days. But, uh, yeah, it's just a fantastic place to play and close to home. So no pressure there, Rosie. Over to you. <laughs> well, I thought there might be a bit of pressure with uh, with Clyde. Uh, I'm, so I decided I'm going to stay local um, um, and I'm going to be loyal and stay local to this area. I'm going to say Seacroft um, because um, I think it is a wonderful course, a hidden gem. And um, it is it's 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 been very special to me. Um, I'm going to pick the Hotchkin at Woodhall Spa, which I think is one of the greatest courses ever. I love that course. Um, and my third is going to be Royal West Norfolk at Brancaster. Mm -hmm. um, again, I think it's a 
wonderful course. It's over the over the wash as far as from Seacroft. I love that coastline. They're all wonderful co uh, courses. Stanton and all of them. Brancaster. It's just a little bit more. Bit, so much character, a bit bit quirky. Um, I agree with them. Uh, Clyde on um, Zilloth and um, and St Enodoc, but I knew, thought he might choose somewhere on the northwest. I love Hoy Lake as well, but um, I think for um, my my three are going to be those. And if you, and if you if you ask this question again in half an hour, I'd probably pick a different three. So oh, yeah. it's, it's it's really it's really not that easy. Well, there's some very solid selections there, nonetheless. Uh, Clyde, best of luck with the rest of the renovation. Um, all the best uh, to you at Seacroft this year, Rosie. I hope people come and see you as restrictions are relaxed. It's a tremendous place to play golf. And thanks to you both for joining us on the NCG Top 100s podcast. Thank you. And you can view all of our ranking lists by clicking onto our website, nationalclubgolfer.com and heading over to the NCG Top 100s banner.